right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and on today's show, we're talking Kansas-Oklahoma State, which will be happening tonight here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. 8 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame. We will also be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports at 3.40, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 4.40, and we got some audio to get to you too as well. Uh, during the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to break down more in depth, but I'll mention it right here. The KU football and Big 12 schedule is officially out. Yep, yep, and uh, big news for KU football is they also announced that they're going to be uh, playing a few games not in Lawrence. That's right. Uh, two at Children's Mercy Park and four at Arrowhead. So there was all of that discussion of, oh, well, are we going to play at Arrowhead? Are they going to play at Children's Mercy Park? How about all of the above? Both. <laughs> yeah, they, they went and steered into the Kansas City Jayhawks thing, which you get one side. Yeah, that of, little graphic that Jared, uh, yeah, Travis Kansas Goff City tweeted Kansas. out was kind of cool, actually. It was. I bet you they'll sell some of those, especially when they're at some of the games. So yeah. we'll get more into that and who they're playing in the schedule and, and how that all lines up. But um, obviously it's not an ideal situation to have to play away from your home and have to play off campus and everything, but all things considered, once you have accepted the fact that this will speed up construction, I'm sure it will save the university a lot of money and the athletic department, a lot of money and, and that, a lot of headaches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, you know, it probably wouldn't have been super great to be watching a game where one half of the stadium is like <laughs> dust and in, in under construction Yeah, that once all that has been accepted, this is actually a very good alternative um, once you go through all that. So we'll discuss sure. that more coming up in the middle of the 4 o'clock hour. Kansas, though, takes on Oklahoma State tonight. This will be their first time playing an opponent twice during the Big 12 season. And helping us do our preview here is CBB Analytics. They do all the little things right. They have those color-coded ranks and percentiles, tons of different splits and stats, last five, last ten, conference games, home and away, and more. More than 30 D1 coaching staffs use CBB Analytics for opponent scouting. So uh, you can check them out. How important is this game? Well, it's massively important from the standpoint of you look past this game to what KU has on the horizon on the schedule, and you really, really need to be going into this upcoming stretch with some confidence. And mm-hmm. you're playing literally the worst team in the Big 12 at home. You blasted them by 24 on the road. So you should have a good opportunity here to have a game where you can build some confidence, hopefully, before you do enter into that gauntlet stretch that you have upcoming, which starts with Houston on Saturday. So it's very important, right? It's very important. Uh, we, we've talked about it. The fact that KU's already dropped three road games in conference play means that now, basically, min- at minimum, you need to go 8-1 and one at home, probably 9-0 and oh at home, really, uh, to, get, to still give yourself the best chance to win the conference. And that includes, obviously, this game tonight against Oklahoma State. So I think it's very important in terms of just kind of setting the table for this upcoming stretch that KU is going to be dealing with because you need to be at your best and feeling your best heading into this stretch and coming off of 
a couple losses in the past couple weeks. You want to wash that taste out of your mouth, get a win here, build some confidence, get some guys going, and feel like you're in a good spot heading into that stretch. Because even though things are kind of gloomy, I guess you would say, for KU basketball in terms of their hopes for the Big 12 title, this is Bill Self. This is Kansas basketball. You can get on a run at any time. And maybe that starts with this game against Oklahoma State. But, but yeah, this is a critical game in just the sense of getting ready to prepare yourself for that upcoming stretch. You know, we had, we had talked about it quite a bit before the season of the first nine games, there's a clear break between the first nine games and the second nine games in the sense that the second nine games for Kansas are going to be a lot more difficult. Well, unfortunately for Kansas, you're looking at possibly being five and three at best at this point, heading into that sort of back nine, ten games of the schedule. But that starts tonight with uh, getting things back rolling uh, in the win column against Oklahoma State. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're 15 point favorites basically in this game. Like it's it's not one that you're expected to lose. It's one you're expected to win. So that feels like yeah, a, this game it's not important on its face. Right. I, don't think. I think it's more important for what it means going forward. Yeah, and it's just every game is important at this point in time. You've already dropped three conference games. You you don't have margin for error. So. It's not a 10 out of 10. and In fact, if you're ranking the most important games remaining for KU, this is probably the, the very bottom, which is yeah. inverse because it's Again, it should be the easiest. In a vacuum, right? yes. It's, yeah, in a vacuum, you're important. ranking it the, the lowest. But what it means going forward in terms of, again, trying to get guys rolling, trying to build some confidence, trying to get yourself back into the, minds, the mindset of, yeah, we can make a run here. We can make something happen. This this game it's it's extremely important, right? You you don't want to have a flat performance tonight, heading into that stretch. Yes. Now, as far as the Oklahoma State scouting report, um, they obviously already played KU. They come into this one at nine and eleven on the season. They are just one and six in Big Twelve play. They're currently they their in first last win, place. though. They, they did win. most recently, and it was against West Virginia, who beat Kansas. Yeah. Now different settings because they beat West Virginia in Stillwater. Kansas lost to West Virginia in Morgantown, but still, uh, that was a game where West Virginia was hot from three, and Oklahoma State still won. And ever since they lost to Kansas, because that was a blowout loss, 90-66 to in that game to uh, KU. Uh, since that point, Oklahoma State's played a little bit better. It's only three games, and it's not against you know, the Houston or Kansas of the world. TCU's good, though. Uh, but four-point loss on the road against Kansas State. Five-point loss at home to TCU and a four-point win over West Virginia. So they seem to have gotten a little bit of momentum going their way here. But overall, this has uh, been the worst team in the Big 12. I mean, they're in conference-only games, 13th in offense, 14th in defense. They're 170th in offense in the country, 87th on defense in the country. They turn the ball over offensively a lot. They don't get offensive rebounds. They have... Not shot well from three in conference play, but they have overall in the season, and they take a high volume, so uh, do with that what you will. Um, but defensively, they give up a lot of shots at the rim. They give up a lot of shots from two-point range. They don't really force turnovers. They have been a good defensive rebounding team, but overall the defense not good. And so far in conference-only games, Oklahoma State is allowing opponents to shoot 75% at the rim. So That's not good. Take this uh, basically all together and say this is KU's – most winnable game remaining. It is a game that you should be able to win going away. It is a game that you should be able to win and not have stress in the final four minutes. It is a game that you should win and be able to give a little bit more leeway to your bench. And all those things could be good before you head into this gauntlet of a schedule. But still, there is knowing that in the back of your mind in a lot of these past games where we've said just this, that this should be a game Kansas should win running away. They didn't. 
Well, and the concern I would have for this game is, what if you are Kansas and you come into this game and you're look already looking ahead, thinking about Houston, thinking about the games after that, thinking about going to Kansas State, playing Baylor. That would be my concern is mm-hmm. is if you are kind of looking past this game and saying, oh, okay, we got to get ready for this tough stretch. But, you know, Oklahoma State's rolling to town. Ah, we beat them by 25 on the road. <laughs> come on, whatever, really, these guys? <laughs> these boys? And then all of a sudden Bryce Thompson hits eight threes. Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're starting to be concerned. So that that is actually my concern is that will KU come into this game kind of overlooking Oklahoma State and really – looking ahead and thinking about the fact that they are going to have this really, really tough four or five game stretch coming up after this game. And does that maybe have them not as locked in to take on Oklahoma State as they otherwise would be tonight? When I look at this Oklahoma State team, the thing that has to scare you the most is the volume of three-point shooting. They take a ton of threes on the season. Uh, They're like top 30 in the country uh, by one metric in, in terms of the rate. Um, you look at the percentage, it hasn't been great in conference play, just 31%. On the season, it's like 34.5%. We've seen the the three-point defense kind of be a problem for KU. And we, yeah. we've had the, the conversations you know, throughout the last weeks of uh, defensive luck versus just playing better defense and kind of the combination of both and, and leading some of the issues there from three. Yeah, That is absolutely the concern, though, coming into this game, that Oklahoma State fires up 33s and goes 12 of 30. I do think the good news is, even if that does happen, you sh- you still can win this game. Oh, easily. The problem yeah. is it you would still be could have won against Iowa State. And that's the thing. You still could have won against West Virginia, but you didn't. So um that I guess that's the plus minus out of all this but but to me yeah. that's that's what I'm most scared of that and Bryce Thompson and and you know some of their guards are going to come in and just bang a bunch of threes yeah when you talk about three-point defense and luck KU got lucky against Oklahoma State actually in the first matchup because Javon Small one of the better three-point shooters on the team he went 0-4 mm-hmm. 0-4 uh, against KU in their first matchup uh so they actually got some luck in their favor in that way uh another one of their guys Connor Dow went 0-3 from three right now with Bryce Thompson, he still ended up having a game, good game, scored twenty points, and I don't. I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm just expecting Bryce Thompson to probably have a really good game. He's had really good games against KU at Allen Fieldhouse in the past, and he it seems like he especially has that extra juice playing against KU. I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's because of the fact that he left or if there's anything beyond that, but he seems to be a guy that's always turned up to play KU. But to your point, he hits some threes. Maybe Javon Small has some uh, regression back to what he's been doing this season with his three-point shooting after going 0-4 against KU in their first meeting. That would be the big concern, right? Because Oklahoma State, they probably don't do enough of anything else really well to really feel like there should be a major threat to Kansas, especially at home. Mm-hmm. But we've seen it now with, with with multiple of Kansas's losses in conference play, the Iowa State game and the, and the West Virginia game. If a team is really hot from three or if a team is really hot just from the floor in general like West Virginia was, that becomes difficult to overcome if, you, if, if you're if you Kansas. Now, with Johnny Furphy playing, I think that makes a difference a little bit starting with the offense. And, I mean, we it's reflected in some of the numbers. KU's offense has been much better with him on the floor to where you feel like, okay, maybe if you maybe you can't overcome a three-point barrage from, from Oklahoma State with and match it offensively. But that's still going to be – a concern, right? That's still going to be a concern. So certainly three-point shooting is, is going to be something to keep an eye on. And when you look, because when you look back at the first matchup when these two teams played, KU was better on rebounding. They didn't turn, they only turned the ball over 11 times compared to 14 for Oklahoma State. And uh, they got a lot of points off of those turnovers in that game. 22 points off turnovers for Kansas. 
uh, against Oklahoma State. Kind of going back to that discussion with Iowa with the Iowa State game, where when you just look at the turnover numbers by themselves, you think, okay, KU did a good job, but Iowa State had six more points off turnovers. Well, in this case, kind of the same deal. Oklahoma State only had three more turnovers than Kansas in their first game, but Kansas had 15 more points off turnovers in that first game. So it's not always necessarily just the straight turnover numbers that you have to keep an eye on. And then Kansas, what you mentioned with uh, conference play with Oklahoma State struggling to defend at the rim, Kansas had 46 points in the paint in their first meeting against Oklahoma State. I would probably expect more of the same, right? Oklahoma State doesn't necessarily have the type of player that can really match up against Hunter Dickinson. So Hunter Dickinson, you look for him to have hopefully a big game, or even a guy like KJ Adams can maybe get, get something going as well. But the key, I think, definitely, for Oklahoma State at least, is going to be that three-point shooting. And for Kansas, it's just going to be play level-headed, and if Oklahoma State hits some shots, don't let that affect you. Don't let that get to you. You know, one of the things that I thought that KU, for the most part, did a pretty good job of actually against Oklahoma State is, they or against Iowa State, excuse me, in the loss in Ames, is they didn't really let Iowa State making all those threes totally dictate what they were doing offensively, right? And and you can really fall into that trap. If you see a team making a bunch of shots, it can it can make you press. It can make you think, oh, we need to make those types of shots to match. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case. I actually thought Kansas did a good job of that against Iowa State uh, overall. And you'd want to see them do that again against Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State comes out and is shooting the ball well. Yeah, I think that's uh, an astute point. And by the way, one of the other numbers that, I mean, you talked about the points off turnovers, fast break points was 20-3. to So just in general, like KU dominated in transition. And going back to the two-point shooting where Kansas was dominant inside, this isn't a number that I don't expect to continue. KU was 8 of 10 in that game on mid-range jump shots. That won't carry over, but you know what will carry over? Going back to the idea that Oklahoma State, and this is the thing where I feel like KU has the biggest advantage, Oklahoma State is giving up 75% shots at the rim so far in Big 12 play, which is a a really bad number. That's actually the worst of any team during college basketball, during conference play. In that game against Oklahoma State, Kansas was 19 of 24 at the rim. That's good for 79%. Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, (laughs) feast inside. Hello. Yeah. And I don't think that's just the big man. I think there's a bit of that where it's guard penetration and it's guards getting to the rim. So, I mean... Juan Harris, you're going to get layup opportunities. Kevin McCuller, you're going to get to the rim. Yeah, Johnny Furphy, you might get a dunk here or there. I, I know he's more, you know, spacing the floor and everything. And Marco Jackson, you want to make uh, inroads on more playing time? Go against a weak interior defense. Drive to the rim. Show your athleticism. Yeah. You know, show be aggressive. Go for some points. So uh, that that should be Kansas's biggest advantage to where they should be able to kind of hammer things on the inside there. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at Kevin McCuller in this game. Uh, we kind of touched on it yesterday. He's still scoring, but his past two games specifically have been really inefficient scoring-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a guy that I'm going to be keeping an eye on on the offensive end in this game to say, hey, I- I'm not necessarily asking Kevin to go out and get 20-plus points, but can you be a little bit more efficient? Can you can you score a little bit more efficiently and, and use that to boost your confidence a little bit uh, in this game? So he's a guy that I want to keep an eye on on the offense. And then same thing with DeWan Harris, uh, keep an eye on him as well because – he had a quality game. I think you and I both agree he played a pretty good game against Iowa State, did what he needed to do, didn't turn the ball over, was able to get his assist numbers and scored a little bit. Can he follow that up with another performance like that? Because I think part of his issue and part of the reason why he's maybe been had the microscope on him more is because there has been quite a bit of inconsistency from him. There's been some games where it looks like he's in control and there's been some games where it's looked like he's doesn't really have any control. So follow up that Iowa State performance with another performance where it feels like He's the guy that's in control of the game. Don't turn it over and and facilitate the offense. Yes. Is there a 
I, I know you just mentioned Kevin specifically, but is there like a player matchup or, or maybe just a, a matchup between these two that you find most fascinating? Well, the thing with the with Bryce Thompson is technically in a regular defense, Johnny Furphy would be guarding him, right? Unless they put McCullough on him. Yeah, it'd be one of the two. So uh, if that's a defensive matchup that Oklahoma State tries to exploit in any way with uh, Thompson on Furphy, I don't know. That that would be something that I would be interested to see what they do uh, in that ga- in this game, and and if KU's still going to just be continuing to switch everything because with the way Bill Self was talking after the Iowa State game, it makes me wonder if we won't see a, some sort of dramatic shift in the way Kansas is going to be playing because uh, he made the comment about the scouting reports and how he maybe wanted to change or was thinking about whatever you know whatever. I'm just curious if there will be some sort of shift in the way KU approaches uh, this game specifically and maybe going forward of how what their philosophy is going to be because Bill Self, he said it himself. They played the numbers and against Iowa State with guys like Trey King, and guess what? They got burned. So are they going to keep doing that or are they going to switch things up? Yeah, who's the guy? We should <laughs> That should be a thing. We should start picking – Who's going to be the player on the other team who is like not a good three point shooter who just randomly goes off? Because Bryce Thompson could is be, a good three point. No, shooter. No, I know Bryce Thompson, you know, Javon Small, those Small are good three point shooters. Forty, forty one percent. What about uh, John Michael Wright? What's he on the season? He is at thirty one point eight percent on low on a uh, pretty high volume. What if he hits? You know, uh, twenty seven of eighty five. Yeah, so he's taken a lot, but he hasn't made him a ton. Exactly. I think he was a good shooter at his previous stop. I could see that one. Yeah, he goes like three of five or something like that. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, this would be one Eric Daly Jr. Who young, talented freshman. I, I yeah, like his McDonald's game. I think he'll be American. a good player in a year or two. McDonald's yeah. All American. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Ten yeah. points, five rebounds as a freshman. Been a good player. Hasn't been a great shooter, but he's willing to take him twelve of forty four from three. That's only twenty seven percent. He'll go like two for two tonight. He'll go like three for three or something. That'll be how that works. Maybe. Maybe. All right, Ku wins and covers if what. Oh, boy. Well, you mentioned the number. I mean, 15, 16-point favorites, which I think seems kind of ludicrous, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it is Allen Fieldhouse, and you're playing the worst team in the Big 12, but that still seems pretty high given mm-hmm. given the performances we've seen KU put together the past week and a half or so. I mean, I think KU wins and covers if they are the ones dictating the tempo, if they're the ones dictating the, the pace of play. And guys like Kevin McCuller are efficient, along with Dewan Harris putting together another solid performance. Johnny Furphy continues to do his thing, and you know KJ Adams is a guy that, uh, interestingly enough, this I saw this, this was pointed out. His numbers year over year are virtually identical when you consider his minutes per game, even though it it is largely kind of accepted that he has been significantly better since, you know, over the course of his career, right? Mm-hmm. That hasn't been reflected in the numbers necessarily. So, I don't know, maybe it's a game where he gets more involved, but I, to me, I think if, if you're KU and you just dictate the pace of the play, you dictate the pace of the game, I feel like, you know, you're going to have a good chance. Because the question will become just, would Oklahoma State have enough firepower long enough to remain in the game? I feel like that's not the case. So I think if you just play your game... Even if Oklahoma State stays hot, and again they did a good job of this against Iowa State, if Oklahoma State gets hot, keep playing your keep playing your game, keep playing how you want to play. Don't let that affect you really too much or speed you up, and uh, you should be fine. 
I mean, you're playing the worst team in the Big 12 at home. I guess to that notion, because you are such big favorites, I know this sounds like such a stupid thing. Just don't play dumb. You know, don't have don't have 15 unforced turnovers. Yeah. Um, don't do a bunch of stupid stuff. Well, okay. Are you willing to say the turnovers are quote unquote fixed after the Iowa State game? I feel good about them. Yeah, I feel good where they're at. Yeah, I think the biggest area now that I'm like, can you sure up is it's well, I guess it's two things. It's the bench and the rebounding. Yeah, you know, can you fix yeah. those now? Uh, so maybe you have the opportunity in tonight's game. Um, if yeah, you it get, feels like you're, it feels like for KU, every time they plug one hole, two more open up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of issues they've had, and I guess there's a couple avenues here for me of how they end up covering. One is you don't play dumb. Two is they don't get randomly hot from three, and three would just be that. I guess you get something from the bench because the way I view it, if this is a game where you're up eight to 12 points for a majority of it, maybe you do give a longer leash to the bench. And so it's going to be on the bench. Can you get that extra push to get you over the hump and cover the spread? Maybe. So yeah, I don't know if that makes you feel confident that they'd cover the spread. Maybe it makes you feel worse, but I think there are a couple avenues for how they can end up covering the 15. Nick Timberlake go off. It could. They always maybe. say role players play better at home. So maybe it helps in this one. Well, that doesn't really I don't know if case. that's bared out for KU. No. But other that. teams. All right, uh, we'll, we'll have our game picks coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk 2 coming up later in the show. Coming up on the other side, we'll get to, uh, I guess, Matt Tate in about 15 minutes. But also there was a Big 12 game last night. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we're joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com to talk some KU basketball, maybe get to a little of the KU football schedule release, which came out earlier today. We'll get to that more in the 4 o'clock hour as well. Kansas takes on Oklahoma State tonight at 8 o'clock here on KLWN. It's their second meeting already this year. This, to me, feels like KU's last chance to I guess really play a game where they shouldn't have to sweat it out in the final four minutes. Now, you never know uh, how things go, but if all goes well, that should be the situation KU's in, and you should have your best chance among all the games remaining to maybe get a little bit more into the bench, to maybe not have to sweat it out at the end. What are your thoughts, Matt, on on where this team is at, on the bench, and everything kind of going into tonight before this gauntlet that begins after this game? Well, yeah, first of all, I think you're dead right. I mean, it, it, everything points to this game being, uh, you know, the easy one, right? But what have we heard all year from self and from other people around the league and people that have been watching the league? I mean, they, they say there are no easy ones. So, you know, there's half of me that's kind of thinking, be careful with that talk a little bit because not you, just in general, um, because, you know, this, this one could be tougher than they want it to be, um, especially because it was so easy in Stillwater, and that's, that's what has everybody thinking, you know, it's going to be a cakewalk, and I, I think it should be. But um, stranger things have happened, and, and it certainly wouldn't shock me if this is a tougher game than people are expecting. So, you know, that's important for sure um, to remember. But I think that, I think that you're right, and, and I think that this is a, a game that, you know, they're, they're pretty lucky to have, really. Um, because if they came off that Iowa State loss, which is – Certainly no no harm in that loss, no shame in going up there and losing. Um, really good teams have lost the names for decades and decades and decades. So no no, you know, real catastrophe there. 
But if you came off of that game and had to go into what's next, Houston, K-State, Texas Tech, Baylor, I mean, like, there would be no time to catch your breath. And so this is a huge, huge opportunity for them to just kind of, you know, get back in front of the home crowd, catch their breath, feel good about themselves again, get right, and, and then, you know, try to flip that switch and see if you can't, you know, do much, much better in the second half of the conference schedule than you have in the first. And, and I think it's all relative, and everybody has to remember that, too. This is a 16-4 and four team. You know, this is a really good basketball team that on any given night with that first five is still as good as anybody in the country. Um, but because of the losses they've taken in conference and because they've lost, you know, three out of four on the road in conference now, I mean, there, there's definitely a panic setting in. So I think they need tonight to be as easy as we all think it's going to be. Um, and, and I think they need it to get back on track and, and to, to really gear up and feel good about themselves heading into, you know, what, what's, what's going to be a really, really, really tough stretch that really has no end because, you know, even, even when you get through the regular season, which is full of ranked teams and tough outs and road games and all that, then you go into the big 12 tournament, obviously not going to be easy there. And then it's, and then it's the big tournament and, you know, nothing's easy there. So it's, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what the next couple weeks look like because I think this next two or three games really um, might might tell you so much about this team and what they're capable of and, and what they're made of. I thought this was interesting from Bill Self's press conference yesterday, uh, talking about coaching being a little different this year because of the, the team's lack of depth and more focus on individual talents uh, that they've had, I think, the quote, substantial changes when it comes to coaching scouting report. And he gave the quote, and I don't like that a lot. What did you take all that to mean? Yeah, great question. I had a bunch of people ask me that on Twitter. I'm just Um, Or X, I should say, right? Um, But, but. Um, but I think, you know, I wish I had thought of it a little bit more. I, I, I think it might have been right before the question I was going to ask him. And so my head was already a little bit down the road moving on to, to the angle I was working on. And so I wish I had thought in the moment a little bit more to have him elaborate because I would love to know um, a little bit more about exactly what he meant by saying that. My guess and interpretation and educated guess is that um, – most teams that he's had at Kansas have he's been able to, to to kind of line up, teach them the way they do things. Here's what we are. Here's what we stand for. Here's our system. Here's how it here's how it plays out, and you figure it out and fit into it, and, and it's going to win a lot of games, right? There's just the the Kansas way we'll call it. Um, I think that still exists. I think that's still the goal. I think that's obviously what they want and and believe is the best way to go. But I think when you find out that you've got a bunch of newcomers that that haven't been in it, um, sometimes you have to adjust. Sometimes you have to say, hey, look, okay, so since we haven't quite established that we are a team that plays the Kansas way and the way that Bill Self coaches and wants and demands and all those things, we're going to focus a little bit more on, hey, in this situation, this is how we're going to guard this guy. Um, you know, the, the, the best shooter for Iowa State, here's how we're going to defend him. Kevin, Dewan, here's how you're going to do it. Um, and those are probably two terrible examples because those guys have, have, have been here and, and should know um, the way, right? So it, it may sound a little bit more like El Marco, Nick, this is how we're going to defend this guy. Um, and, and, you know, that, that doesn't sound that crazy, but I, I think it puts an extra 
toll on these guys. I think it, it makes it harder for the coaches, which is why I think he said he doesn't like it. Um, and I think it's part of the, the, you know, sort of the negative side of the portal. I mean, like, you used to have teams where whether they played or not, you had three- and four-year players that would that would sit there and, and learn it and drill it and watch it and, and appreciate it and understand the expectations and the demands of it. And, and then when it came to be their time, whether that was junior year, senior year, whatever, um, they had been around it enough to understand this is just how we do it here. And so you could kind of year after year after year just flip the calendar and, and expect that your team's going to play the way you want them to play. And right now, I think you're, you're watching and you're seeing that, that they have to take a lot more time and, and, and spend a little bit more specific moments on um, really just teaching, hey, this is what we're going to do in this situation. And it may, not, it may not be relevant the next week. It may not be relevant the next opponent. It may not come up ever again. But um, it, 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 it's what you need to do to survive that, to try to survive that particular game. And so – um, I think that's why he doesn't like it, you know, and it, it's not because it's harder on him, although it does take more time and it takes away from some of the, 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 the other coaching that they want to do. Um, I, I think it just, it's, it's unfamiliar to him. And, and that would be my best interpretation of what's happening with that. And, and I, I would, I would guess it's pretty accurate, um, because I, I think that makes everything harder. So, um, you got to do what you got to do. And, and, you know, I, I certainly don't think he's whining about having to adjust. That's part of life. That's part of basketball. That's, that's the way it goes. Um, but, but I do think it's unfamiliar for him and, and it's, it, it doesn't feel, you know, quite the same. You mentioned that for KU, this game against Oklahoma state comes at a good time. Should be the easier game before they head into that gauntlet. Do you have any concern about this game possibly being a look ahead for Kansas where maybe they are saying, Hey, we beat these guys by 24 on the road. We're already thinking about Houston, and maybe Oklahoma State can come in with a little bit of fire. I mean, do you have any concern about that being a possibility maybe early in this game? I, I would be concerned about that if they weren't so old. Um, but, you know, and that's what Self always calls them, right? The, the conference is old. The team is old. You know, they're, they're relatively very, very young. Um, I'm old. So, you know, I, I'd be worried if they, were, um, if they were a bunch of younger guys. But that starting, starting lineup is, is full of veterans and – um, I, I think they are a group that understands, like, hey, you know, what happened in Stillwater has no bearing on what's happening today or tomorrow or tonight. Um, and if we don't show up to play, we'll see that, and, and we'll see it on the wrong side of things. So I think that group's mature enough to understand that. Um, and then on top of that, they're, they're mature enough and probably focused and driven and, and maybe even a little concerned enough right now to understand that, what we talked about off the top here is that, you know, they got to get this game. They got to get right tonight. And um, so I'd be shocked, truly shocked if they, if they have anything other than a a heck of a surge to start this game with great energy. Um, A lot like we saw against Cincinnati uh, when Johnny Furphy just totally dominated the start of that game and uh, really brought the energy and, and, and KU got out to that lead that ended up being enough to hold on to. So, I, I, you know, you never say never. Anything's possible. And, and obviously Oklahoma State's going to factor into it some. Um, you know, Bryce, Bryce Thompson still wants one, right? He still wants to, to get Kansas. He still wants to have a 30-point night and be the guy that, that beat KU 
since it's his former school and all that. So, you know, he's capable and he's, and he's a volume scorer and he could put up a huge night anytime they play. So anything is, is possible, but I think this group is, is definitely mature enough to understand like, um, this is a big moment in our season. And, and therefore that makes this first five minutes of tonight's game as big as it gets. Talking with Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Beyond the KU basketball game tonight, we got to see the KU football schedule in full release today. We know when they're playing. We know who they're playing. We know where they're playing as part of the Big 12 schedule in addition to the non-con and everything kind of coming together. What are your thoughts on the slate overall and the, uh, I guess, location of the games now that they won't be in Lawrence? Yeah, first the slate, um, man, you know, there's been a lot of excitement and talk and even internal talk that, that's kind of, you know, they haven't been afraid to say about, you know, with this playoff expanding to 12 teams, they believe they could put themselves in position to contend for a spot in that and certainly contend for a Big 12 title. And while that's really new and wild and cool for Kansas fans to hear, I think it's very true. Um, and seeing this schedule lay out the way it does, I think that only adds fuel to that idea. I think that's, I mean, look, if this year's team played that schedule, I would think they could win all 12 games. I don't, you know, and we don't know everything about all of those teams yet. And, and, you know, going to, don't, do they play at BYU? They do, right? Yes. So, so going to BYU, going to Arizona State, like we don't know anything about those games right now or those teams really. Um, so, you know, it's not anything where you can just definitively say right now, here's what they're go- going to, you know, do. Um, I will remind you that I did predict eight and four last year and I did get every game mm-hmm. exactly right. So when the time comes for me to do that, I, you know, maybe people will pay a little <laughs> more attention to it this year. I, I, I would, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so anyway, getting back to the, the, the point, like I, I, I love the sl- I love the schedule for them. I think it sets up for them to, to really be a team to watch and, um, what a good time to have a schedule like that. Um, you know, Utah's very good. Arizona, despite new leadership and, and the unknown there, um, very good last year. Um, who's the other one that they're missing? Oklahoma State is, is not on the schedule, and that's, you know, they're always tough, and, and they really turned it on this year, pretty much starting with their win over Kansas. So um, to not have those three on your schedule is, is I think, positive. Um, and, and, then, and then the rest of those teams, you know, at K-State, obviously not going to be easy. Um, but but they are closing the gap there, and we, we saw that this year. We saw that a little bit last year, and so I think that they they and others should go into the season thinking, like, could they win every game? You bet they could. And was that reality last year? Has that been the way people have thought in the past? Of course it has. You know, um, your your famed trivia contest, um, I, I don't know what we'll even call him now, a veteran, I guess. He, he's not really a star. He's just a veteran. He's just done it so many times. But Ryan Goodwin, right? Like. Yeah. He's the guy that tells me and tells our friends for, for year after year after year after year, they're going to go 12-0, and 0, they're going to go 12-0. and 0. So you know he's going to say it again. In fact, he already has said it today. Um, I would think he would be worried about his baseball season starting later this week, which, yes, that is as surprising to me as it is to you that baseball's starting this early. Yeah, he is worried. He is worried. We, okay. we tried to tell him to move the game to Thursday or to tomorrow um, because it's going to be 60 and sunny and 
and he said that they they wouldn't be close to ready. But I think they play Friday, so apparently Thursday is going to be a a really big game or a really big day for him to get his guys ready. So anyway, the the Ryan Goodwins of the world who sit there and say, "Hey, twelve and zero, twelve and zero, twelve and zero," like I, you know. I'm not going to laugh in their face as much this year as as I have in the past. I, I think that thing sets up really, really well. Um, they're going to have to play great. There's going to have to be some things that go their way, and and they they still have to fill out exactly who they are as as every team does right now. But um, in terms of personnel, but man, it, it that was the first thing that jumped out to me. This is a this is a really nice schedule. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you kind of knew they were playing at Arrowhead, so that wasn't that big of a surprise. And the Children's Mercy stuff comes out come out here in the last couple of weeks. You started hearing about that as a possibility. Um, I love it. I love both of those venues. I think I think the Children's Mercy thing will be really cool. Uh, I, I really tip my cap to Travis Goff and, and everyone else involved in getting to this um, conclusion because if they tried to play two games at, at Memorial Stadium, which would be a true construction site and nothing more, I mean, there would be no way to to paint that as anything else. Um, it would have been awful. It, the optics would have been awful. Um, the, 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 you know, there's no press box, so there'd be nowhere for the coaches to, to, to sit and call. They'd have to bring in, like, temporary trailers. Um, it's, just not, it's just not what you want. The momentum – you know, uh, yeah, you just want to win games, and that's all that matters, what happens between the lines. But, like, the optics of what that would have looked like, um, it would have been it would have been brutal. It would have just been, you know, funky would be the word I would use. So this eliminates that. Now, you know, maybe you don't have the same fans going to all the same games and all of that, but they have an option to. Um, and, and both environments, whether it's Arrowhead or Children's Mercy, are going to be – very, very, very high on the scale of fan friendliness, and you know, the concessions will be good. The 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 environment will be good. It'll feel like you're at a football game. Um, I think that Children's Mercy thing will be really cool. I have yet to go to a Sporting KC game, um, but I've seen tons of you know highlights of of games and and the crowds and all that. So I, I can only imagine that that's going to be wild. Um, and it'll be full, and and then we'll see. You know, we'll see how many fans they can put in Arrowhead. I think there's no question in my mind that they will do some real work um, trying to campaign to get people to show up and to maybe put seventy six thousand people in there. I don't know that they'll get there, but you know, you you start messing with ticket prices and doing some giveaways and and building the hype and making people want to go more than they already would. You never know, and, and you look at that Iowa State game, I think that's the one that, that everybody points to as a game that, that absolutely could could pull 76,000 because you could have 30,000 Iowa State fans. So, um, you know, that that's crazy, and you're going to give up some of your home, home field advantage and home field environment, but it's one year, and, and that's a great place. Both of those venues are, are wonderful places to play football and to, and to have a season if you have to be displaced for one season for the greater good of your program and your fans and everything moving forward. So um, love it. Love what they did. I think it's a really impressive uh, outcome here. And, and, it, and most importantly, it, it, it gives that construction crew and the teams that are working on the, the, the rebuild there, um, you know, they don't have to hit pause. 
even for a day, that can be, you know, that can really put them back um, a little bit. And they don't have to do that. They can just, they can be working on the stadium while the, while the game's being played down the road. So I, I, I love it. I think the schedule's awesome. And, uh, you know, man, here, here we go. Like what it's, it's almost February and, and spring practice will start in a handful of weeks. And then, you know, summer is, is right around the corner after that, and then August hits, and, and then it's football season again. And, and it's really wild to sit here and watch so much excitement, so much anticipation for a Kansas football season. Um, this has got to be, I mean, truly has to be the most anticipated season maybe ever. And that's really, really cool to think about. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work at r1s1sports.com. There's some really good stuff up there right now, including an interesting idea for the bench tonight against Oklahoma State. Matt, I appreciate the time, man. Have a great rest of your week and talk to you next Tuesday. That sounds great, man. Thank you. Have have a great enjoy a great day, a great week, and enjoy this sunshine and, and some Baker baseball if you get out there. There we go. You will. You there will, you right? Well, we'll see. It depends what time that game's going to be Friday, right? So, uh, okay. I don't know. I might okay. be in here. I might be in here. So, we'll see. Oh, there you go. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. well, um, yeah, either way, whatever happens, you know, it, it, Goody will make the wrong decision, and, and, you know, you'll have to pay for it. You're used to that, though. So. <laughs> there we go. All right, Matt. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Derek. You guys take care. All right, you too. That's Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down. Two to go. Let's uh, get to the KU football schedule. But first, some more KU basketball talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. KU football schedule is officially out. We'll talk about it in our next segment. We'll also be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports this hour at 440. And then more KU basketball talk and audio coming up in the five o'clock hour. You can hear the Kansas-Oklahoma State game tonight on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Pre-game starts at 6.30 with tip-off at 8 o'clock. Kansas fell to Iowa State 79-75 on Saturday. We do a segment called Heroes and Villains where we discuss the heroes and villains from KU's latest games. So before we look more ahead to the game tonight, let's look back and uh, make ourselves sad about KU losing to Iowa State and Ames <laughs> a little bit more. Um, Damn. Let's start with the heroes. Let's start with our offensive hero or heroes. What is it or who is it for KU? Who or whom? Who or whom? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Johnny Furphy? Mm. Another good game for KU offensively. Uh, I also want to throw Dewan Harris in there a little bit because, again, not so much for his scoring, but two turnovers in the game. Uh, seven assists. Seven assi- he did I mean, have nine points, which is no, on exactly. the higher end for him. And listen, I mean, how many times have you come in here and said, hey, Dewan, if you score nine points, seven assists, two turnovers, you're probably taking that yep. most nights. Like, and he was four of six, so it wasn't bad efficiency. He hit that one three at the end of the shot clock. That was a really tough shot. Yeah, that was preposterous. <laughs> Eddie, I, f- I actually forgot about that. That was preposterous. Listen, Dewan. Shoot. Shoot the ball. When you're open, shoot it. I almost feel like he should be taking like four or five threes a game. I I agree. I know the efficiency would probably go down to like 35%, but like that would be more worth it for this team. I 100%. No, I agree. 
I agree. But yeah, no, he was good. Uh, Furphy, you mentioned, I think Furphy had a couple defensive shortcomings, but this is offensive hero, and he had 15 points. He had three offensive rebounds, so he was getting you some extra chances there. He only had the one turnover, uh, so it's not like he was having issues with that, even as a freshman against that aggressive defense. 5-8 yeah. from the floor. He was 3 of 5 from 3. He hit a couple tough ones, too. The one where he's coming yep. around the screen, and then he has to square up his body the opposite way he's running, where he's in front of the KU bench, hits it from the side. Like That's that's a veteran-level made 3 for Furphy. So that was uh, really good to see. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did a good job in the game uh, scoring-wise, and Kansas needed that. And listen, since he's been inserted into the lineup, KU's offense has been significantly better, right? Now, there's been some defensive shortcomings, but he's been really, really good on offense for KU. Uh, with him in the lineup, which is nice to see, and it's funny because you go back to the Oklahoma game and he plays really well, and it's like, well, okay, you know, let's let's see you do it again. And he goes to Oklahoma State. Well, okay, do it again. Oh wait, he did do it again, and he's continued to do it. He, I mean, he's been really, really strong since starting the starting lineup. So that's that's really nice to see. I think it's it's very safe to say now that he is a guy you can rely on in the starting lineup to score and be productive on offense and help mm-hmm. contribute to the overall offensive success of this team. Yeah, I think so for sure. I, I think you could also, for offensive hero, I could throw in second half Hunter Dickinson or second half K.J. Adams. Yeah. So K.J. in the first half had zero points. I don't know if he took a shot. but in I the, don't think he did. Cause he, he had the foul trouble. Yeah, he, he only played he seven minutes. Sat for, yeah, I was going to say he sat for 14 yeah. minutes. He played the entire second half. He had 13 points in the second half alone. And he got to the free throw line a bunch, and he hit his free throws. He was 7 of 10. Yeah. Also, uh, Hunter Dickinson in the second half. Hunter was only two of seven, I want to say, in the first half. That he means he finished seven of 11 in the second half. And he was the one who, uh, before Kevin McCuller hit the three to make you feel like you had a lot of hope, it was Hunter hitting a corner three yeah. before that three, even though he struggled a bit from three, one of five, he hit that one. And in the second half, he wound up with a really uh, impressive offensive half. Yeah, yeah. I, I think KJ Adams is a good pick uh, because he definitely contributed as well. Uh, offensively, we kind of touched on the, the idea of him kind of bringing the ball up, and he did do some of that a little bit in, in the second half. And he also had the coast to coast dunk play, which was awesome. That was really fun. Uh, which so, and I think that if I remember right, that play came off of he had like a bad offensive sequence. I think like the possession before, and then he comes back and does that and mm-hmm. uh, gets everybody fired up again. And that cut it down to an eight point game at that point as well. So. Yeah, he was strong in the second half. Uh, we kind of touched on this, uh, I think, yesterday with with KJ in the sense of I don't know that I fully agree with Bill Self's decision to not ever put him back in in the first half. I understand that things were going fine in the first half, really, uh, <laughs> with the bench. But fine. <laughs> but I would have expected him to throw him back in there. So well, that the caught me thing, off guard. Ken Palm has a number called two foul participation. Basically, how much does a coach play players when they have the two fouls? I would assume KU's is very high. Yeah, it's 45th in the country. Yeah. So, like, Bill Self has typically done that so far this yeah. year. I mean, when but you have a short bench one. that you that Bill Self doesn't totally trust, you know, Dewan gets two fouls, Kevin gets two fouls. Those guys normally end up still playing significant minutes, mm-hmm. which is why I was so surprised that KJ Adams didn't ever come back in in the, second, in the first half, even though I understand things were going fine. Okay? <laughs> I get it. But still, I mean, I would have thought he would have put it back in, but he never did. Yeah. Who is the defensive hero or heroes of the game? Defensive hero. Oh, boy. I mean, it obviously wasn't that great of a defensive game when you consider what Iowa State was able to do from the perimeter. Uh, Kansas had, what, how many? They only had five steals as a team. I mean, DeWan Harris did had a good game, I guess, mm-hmm. steal-wise. 
you know, Parker Brown assaults a guy. Can't really call him a hero, can you? I don't know. Maybe you want to you want to throw Parker Brown in there? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I don't think assaulting a guy and getting called for a flagrant because of it uh, classifies. He didn't give up defense. the basket though. I guess, but wasn't. It still gave up a point out of it. No, I, I don't think you could go with him. I, I think you could just as a whole say KU's interior defense. Obviously, well, there were issues they defending didn't the three-point arc. Really, do much interior defending because Iowa State was just chucking. Sure, but they were fourteen of thirty-one. That's forty-five percent. That's not like a great mark inside. I mean, it's not like a bad mark either. So I guess maybe yeah. not. They were also yeah. seven of eight at the rim. They were only on shots not at the rim. So basically, about- shots from two that were. Outside of four and a half feet of the rim Mom, to that, the three-point line, they that, were only seven of twenty-three. That Mom Chilevich guy, he yeah, airballed one bad on a fadeaway jumper. Yeah, I was like, dude, you're not Dirk, okay? Would you? I understand, you know, you might be from the same area of the world that he is. I don't even know, but <laughs> I mean, come on. You think Mom Chilevich is a German name? I said same area. So you just you know? all Eastern Europeans are the same to you. <laughs> No, but you get the I mean, you know, I don't know where he's from. I mean, you know, you get the idea. Okay. Should I just stop while I'm ahead? Yes, I think you should stop while you're ahead. <laughs> no, I, I think DeWan has to be the answer. A couple of reasons. One. I mean, Lipsy, Lipsy only had 10 points. Exactly. That's one of them. Lipsy had 10 points on three of nine from the floor, and he came in averaging closer to 15. And then DeWan also led the team in steals, and he had KU's only block. So he is definitely the defensive hero. I don't even remember that. Did I he, don't either. Did he? Did he you get know a ball and think of it? Hand on somebody on a now I do remember it. It was a block on a play where it like went out of bounds off KU, and they got another possession. I'm pretty sure they like hit three afterwards, which I could <laughs> well, be I mean, wrong on that. You, you could have said that about Honestly, I could just be guessing that. Yes. There's a good chance it'll be right. Yes. Uh, who is the other hero of the game? Other hero. Hmm. I think Jay Wright does a good job calling basketball games. Like I enjoyed Wright? having him on. I mean, the combination of Jay Wright and Bill Raftery, I think that's a very fun Analyst yeah. duo. Yeah. It's entertaining. Well, I mean and informative. I think Bill Raftery is getting to Dick. Although Vitale. is Jay Wright to be is Jay Wright, should he go just to jump ahead a little, should he go in the villains? Because Jay Wright shows up and other teams just go bananas for three. Yeah. That's that is a good point, actually. That is a good point. Well, I, but I also think Bill Raftery, he's reaching Dick Vitale levels of mm. you know. You can just you're allowed to retire. <laughs> I love you're Bill Raftery. You're allowed to go and enjoy your No, I'm no, I'm not I'm saying he's fine. Uh-huh. I, I like him too, but you're allowed to go enjoy your life. All right, we, we get it. Nick Beyond, hates old people. No. Well. You hate Eastern Europeans and old people. In certain What's cases, next? yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, other. I mean, yeah, Jay Wright, to your point, he could go into a villain category. Uh, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't really have much else for other heroes. I mean, I, I was kind of just depressed after the game. There was a little kid in front of the, or I guess behind, the Iowa State bench who was a KU fan. That's another hero. Do you think he, was, you think he was texting KU what they were talking about in the... No, he was like level? a little kid. I, I Maybe not. I don't even know if he would have had a phone. Oh, okay. It was funny, though. There was like one open three in the first half that Kevin McCuller took and missed, and he like got up and he threw his hands in the air with like three logos, and then he just like threw his hands away when he missed the shot. <laughs> he was my hero. Um, I guess what else would be up there? I, I don't know. This was a tough one. This was a tough other heroes game, I think. KU's fortitude to stick with it and make it yeah. a game late, even despite Iowa State's onslaught of threes. Yeah. I could go up there. Maybe. All right, villains. Well, you mentioned Jay Wright. 
Sure. I don't know. Do you want you want to put him in there? Uh, I like Jay Wright though. I do too. I, I don't quite want to put him in there, but yeah. I honorable like mention. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Jay Wright. There is a correlation. Well, I think the number Jay one Wright shows up. The number one villain of the game's got to be Trey King. I would think. One hundred percent. I mean, this dude comes in shooting nine percent from three. Comes in shooting eight percent from three. Comes in shooting three percent from three. Negative twenty percent from three. And he's just a flamethrower. Twenty-one points. Also had nine rebounds. And he wasn't even just hitting three. Like he hit threes, but he also had some like good takes to the rim. Like I think he had like, yeah. a big dunk here or there. Yeah, so frustrating to watch for sure. Curtis Jones deserves one too. Fifteen points. He hit three threes, and a couple of them were like incredibly difficult shots. Yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't fun. Yeah, he had a step back. Uh Gilbert, obviously, I think has got to be up there for his step back that he hits that kind of essentially ices the game. Yeah. Right. He had 16 for the game. He you was know, two of five. From two three. point. It's a two point game. Uh, T.J. Alsberger is doesn't doesn't he's he he's he doesn't know what to do. He's panicking. He mm-hmm. doesn't know how to run offense. Iowa State dribbles the ball around like blind idiots for 30 seconds, 29 seconds. The three point line Gilbert. has got to be a hero. I mean, if 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 there was no three point line, would Kansas be? I guess Zach Eady and Purdue would probably be like the best team in the country. Didn't point, we right? have a Didn't we have a mailbag question about Did this? We? About uh. How good would this team be if they played in like the, the yeah six, in like the fifties like there was pre, no three point line pre three point line era? They'd for sure be top three. I feel good about that. <laughs> KJ and Hunter Dickinson would be bullies yeah. on the inside for scoring the basketball. Yeah, in a, in a world with no three point shot. Uh, other villains, the uh, the Jim Carrey guy, he got showed again mm. on the TV broadcast. Iowa State's Jim Carrey, yeah, yeah, or I don't know whatever you want to call him. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't do any crying. Motions though, so no. that was good. But yeah, he got showed at least once, maybe more than once, on the broadcast. Do you think we're gonna have a trend where every coach that plays in Ames is gonna get a technical? I think it's three straight games. Mm. It's, it's either two or three. I think Baylor's home court's had three straight. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't. You know the the thing with Bill Self is normally he's pretty good about strategically getting technicals in the sense mm. of like. If there's like a time and a place to try to you know to demonstrate that fire. Either your team needs to pick me up to see your the coach get animated, or you know you need to send a message to the officials or something. I didn't feel like he got as much bang for his buck on this one, to be honest. I think this was kind of a, a bad technical, not really bad in the sense of like, I mean, he kind of talked about it. We or we talked about it yesterday. Like, Lipsy ends up going two of four on those free throws. So he was going to get two free throws anyway, so you just say, okay, he makes both those. So it didn't really cost you any points, and they were going to get possession anyways afterwards after the flagrant anyways. But, like, I just didn't feel like it – I don't feel like he very he got very much out of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So Bill Self, technical villain. Sure. Fine. Yeah. I'm good with that. KU football schedule's out. We're going to talk about it next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN or KLWN.com. We got KU basketball against Oklahoma State tonight at 8 o'clock, pregame at 6.30. Going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up in less than 20 minutes. And right now, we'll talk uh, some KU basketball, Big 12 hoops, and a little more about the KU football Big 12 schedule being out. This is one thing. So the entire Big 12 schedule is out there. Yeah. One thing that's really weird, this is not a thing that, affects KU, but there's some previous schedule contracts for Baylor to play Utah, which actually was a game they're playing. They played this last year, and the the other side of the home-and-home is Baylor going to Utah this year in September. And then Arizona at Kansas State on September 14th. Those are already scheduled, 
they're going to just continue having them, but they're not going to count as actual Big 12 conference games. Yeah, and I actually think this is a it's a positive for Baylor and Kansas State. I mean, Baylor, you're going to go at Utah and probably lose, mm-hmm. and it's not even going to affect your conference your conference record. And That's the same point. goes for Kansas State against a really good Arizona team, or vice for or Arizona vice for, you know conversely, right? Basically, the loser of those games still comes out fine because it doesn't count against your conference record. That's kind of a good point, and especially with the expanded playoffs, where it's like, well, if you lose the game, like whatever, you can still win your conference. Exactly. Can you imagine a world you, you where know, Kansas State's playing Utah? or I'm sorry, Arizona in the Big 12 championship game, and we're like, well, it's a rematch, but not of a conference game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. weird. Because you could easily lose that game, and yeah, because of the expanded playoff, you know, you could be 10-2 and two and probably still get a chance in that large bid, right, mm-hmm. to the playoff. So it's it's really kind of it's really kind of a good thing, I think, for whichever of those teams you view to be kind of the worst teams, I guess. Like, for instance, with Baylor going to Utah, like I, I would expect Baylor to lose that game against Utah. Mm-hmm. That's good for Baylor. And then same thing, Kansas State and, and Arizona, those are two teams that have Big 12 title expectations or, or Big, Big 12 title aspirations, I should say, coming into the season. And it's great for both those teams because whichever one of them loses, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's very interesting. Very odd. So for Kansas, their schedule, yep. it, I guess there, there's a lot of different elements of, of what goes into the schedule. The first part of it is where they're going to be playing. Yeah. And Matt Tate talked about this earlier. The first two games for the home games – are going to be played at Children's Mercy Park, which is where Sporting KC plays. Yep. So that'll be in Kansas City, Kansas. That's and then Lindenwood and UNLV. Yes. So Lindenwood's their first game. UNLV is is the second home game. Uh, they have road games kind of in between both those. And then at the end of September, they start their home games in Geeha Field, GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, where they'll be for their final four home games, which are against TCU, Houston, Iowa State, and Colorado. So Colorado becomes Senior Day for KU. I, I think it's very interesting and it's obviously a situation where because of the construction to KU stadium in an ideal world, you're playing at home, but that's not going to be possible here. I guess it is possible, yeah. but you'd have to be playing at home under a stadium that is uh, maybe only halfway full and is under construction and it would look weird and there'd be no press box. So like I think given that option or doing this, I prefer this option, what they're currently doing. Probably. Yes, it's not ideal for students. Yes, it's not ideal for people in Lawrence, for maybe the players to a certain standpoint. Though I, I, I'd imagine a lot of players are actually pretty jazzed up about playing at Arrowhead, playing sure. inside a you know pro stadium. That's got to be pretty cool. Um, I think the Kansas City-Kansas ones, the Children's Mercy Park, I'm actually very excited for those because there is something cool about that. That'll hold around 18,000, 19,000 yeah. people. I know they they've gotten up to like twenty five thousand. It has concerts. the potential for those to be like actually really really yes, great atmospheres because it's going to be completely sold out. Yeah, if you want to go to the game, you're going to be a diehard KU fan, yeah. right? Yeah, and hopefully the students are able to attend and everything, and they get busing and, and whatever needs to be had for them to get there. But also think about this: like there is a big, uh, I guess, number of KU fans who live in the Overland Park, Olathe, Kansas City, Kansas area already, sure. and they're having to come in to Lawrence a bit of a drive. It might actually be closer for them in Children's Mercy Park. Absolutely. And I think of that specifically having an impact for the Lindenwood game. Like the UNLV game, that'll be a Saturday game. We're still waiting on times on all these games, so we don't know what time any of Lindenwood is on a Thursday. Lindenwood's on a Thursday, and that's been Which, one of our gripes. Dude, this is college football. Can mm-hmm. we just play on a Saturday? 
I'm okay with this one. Would anybody first die if we played on Saturday? No, I'm okay with the first week of the season. Gives you those extra days before going on the road to Illinois. But uh, my gripe has always been when they play on a Friday, and then it impacts with high school football and some of the stuff that we're doing here on the station from a personal level. But being on a Thursday and being in a situation where, you know, part of the reason, too, that Friday games have been tough is that a lot of the Friday games start at, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. And people get off work, and for a lot of the big crowd that is coming from Kansas City, from Overland Park, from Aletha, it's tough for them to get in time, especially with the traffic and parking and everything. Sure. The fact that this one it would be on a Thursday, but it's in an area where it'd be an easier access for people from Aletha and Overland Park to get to and everything, I think that makes this work really well. Yeah. And then, yeah, you go to Arrowhead, and my big worry with Arrowhead, I guess two worries, it's are the students going to be able to get out there? Again, hopefully there's busing or some sort of shuttle situation that can get them there. The other uh, part of it with the worry with Arrowhead is unlike Mer- Children's Mercy Park, where you feel like it's going to be sold out and it's going to be a tight knit close. It- it's funny. If you have 40,000 people at a game at Arrowhead versus 20,000 people at Children's Mercy Park, it'll probably feel better at Children's, at Children's Mercy Park. Park because you would have a halfway full stadium and yeah. the acoustics and, and stuff might not be as good. But can you get to 55,000? Can you get to 60,000? Can you sell out Arrowhead if you can? You know how cool of an environment that For would sure. be? Well, I mean, you look at, we. I mean, we talked about this because obviously we already knew what games they were going to be playing potentially at Arrowhead and now it's official. But you look at those games late in the season, Iowa State and Colorado, right? Iowa State, you know, their fans travel well. You could have a lot of Iowa State fans come down, and that could be a game where you maybe get close to selling out. Colorado, you're going to have the draw of Co- of Coach Prime coming to Arrowhead to, to play against uh, against KU. And I bet you they'll bring a good amount of fans too. Exactly. Yeah. So th- those are two games where you feel pretty good about KU being able to to have a pretty big crowd. It's the Houston and Texas. It's the Houston and TCU games where you're like, eh, okay, like, is are you going to get enough draw for those games? Would be the concern. Uh, out, setting aside just the conversation of Arrowhead and Children's Mercy Park and all that stuff. Two big takeaways I had from the schedule beyond that. Number one, you get two bye weeks. You get one in October and another one in November. That's kind of a new part of the schedule. And that and Lance was, yeah, Leipold, that was for every Big 12 team. I like yeah. that a lot. And Lance Leipold had specifically said he prefers bye weeks not early in the season. He prefers them later in the season. Well, he kind of gets his wish here, right? He's got two He's got two of them, two mm-hmm. of them later in the season. So I'm sure internally he's very happy about that, and the program is probably happy about that as well. And then the, other, the, only, the only thing that really irks me, that really just ticks me off, that really grinds my gears, that really rubs me the wrong way. Why are we playing Kansas State as the eighth game of the season? That just, that's just not right. That's not right, like the man. Finale, right? It's terrible. Instead of playing at Baylor to finish? I know. And the more I thought, the more I think about it, it's like maybe it had something to do with like Arrowhead Stadium was like, hey, these are the day. These are the games dates you have to play at Arrowhead because of, but they're not playing K State. I know right. that's the issue, yeah. but maybe K State. I don't know, man. All I know is I'm mad about it. Okay, I don't like it. I think it's dumb. I think it's stupid. So much of college sports nowadays already with conference realignment and all that BS is taking away rivalry matchups, fun matchups. But yet for college football, generally speaking, rivalry week, the last week or two of the season, is when you get to see the big rivalry games, has been preserved. Well, not anymore for KU and K-State. So that sucks, right? And I, I haven't looked at K-State's schedule. Are, are they playing Iowa State to end the season, I would guess? I thought that wasn't even on the schedule this year. Maybe it's not. I, I, thought, I Honestly, I haven't even looked. Well, maybe I, I might be confusing two things. I, I think they announced protected rivalries, be, yeah. and they didn't protect Farmageddon, so maybe I'm confusing that with them not playing Iowa State. But either way, that just okay, they really— are, They're at Iowa State to finish the year. Okay. 
whatever. That's fine. That still ticks me off. I guess maybe that's KU's fault for just having one real rival. Now that Missouri, yeah, if Missouri not, was still in the league, you know. That been so I, I don't know, but that really, I did not like that at all when I saw that. Uh, it, I think it takes away some of the juice from the game, especially when you're considering the fact that these are two programs that have aspirations to win the Big 12, right? I mean, mm-hmm. KU's going to be having their star quarterback, Jalen Daniels, back. Their star running back, Devin Neal, back. Their receiver core. You look at their defense. They bring back Kobe Bryant. They bring back Melo Dotson. It, 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 that game is shaping up to be one of the more significant games in terms of the Big 12 race plus the rivalry aspect of it. So I would have liked to have seen that game played later in the season. Maybe with K-State going at Iowa State to end the season, that game against Colorado at Arrowhead, that was one of the dates where they had to play there, I guess, maybe. And so K was like, well, we'll, well, we can't play, you know, the week before. So that's just unfortunate. I didn't like that. But the two-by weeks, both late in the season, is, is really cool. And I think overall this shapes up to be a pretty solid schedule for Kansas. You know, last year – there was a lot of gripe about the schedule going against Kansas. Well, this year it kind of favors you, right? I mean, your road games are Arizona State, a, a down team. That game at West Virginia becomes suddenly very intriguing because West Virginia had a bit of a resurgence this past year that maybe you weren't expecting. Uh, to open conference play, that becomes an interesting one. And then you go at Baylor in the season, a, a place where historically you've gotten blasted every time you go there. But uh, as they say, new era. So, you know, maybe you have a chance there. Obviously, your non-conference schedule is very manageable with Lindenwood, Illinois, and UNLV. So you're, this is shaping up for you to have a chance to legitimately you know, push for 9, 10, 11 wins, just like you were kind of right. at certain points this past season, uh, which is very, very exciting, which is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at – so I, I've been looking at some of these like way-too-early top 25 rankings, and that's not everything because there could be some teams on this schedule who would come in at 29th or something maybe, and then at that point it's like, well, it, it, you know, by the time you play them, they could be ranked. But – um, versus Lindenwood to open at Illinois versus UNLV at West Virginia versus TCU at Arizona State. Those first six games, even though it does feature, I guess, five teams who are either power five or made a bowl game last year, you look at it and you're like, well, Illinois was not bowl eligible last year. Lindenwood's an FCS team. UNLV is losing their starting quarterback and some other players in the transfer portal. Um, TCU didn't make a bowl game last year. Arizona State didn't make a bowl game last year. There's reason to think you could be five and one through the first six, if not six and zero. Oh. And then you look, you get into the bye week, and then you come out of it. And the back half is is a little bit tougher than the front half is, at least on paper right now. But you know, Houston is uh, a team that that didn't make a bowl game this past year. Then at Kansas State, that'll be a tough one. They're ranked in the top twenty-five. Yeah. Some of these way too early polls versus Iowa State. You know, solid team, but they're not ranked in the top twenty-five. At BYU, tough place to play, sure, but also not a bowl team. Uh, versus Colorado, not a bowl team. And at Baylor, not a bowl team. So like. There will be certain teams on this schedule who end up surprising. Like, would it shock you if one of TCU or Baylor ended up being like an 8-4 and four team this year? No, yeah. because they have a lot of talent and they're sitting in a talent-rich state. Or Houston or something like that. No. Like, there's going to be somebody on here who you're not expecting to be good that will be. But there probably yeah. will also be somebody on here that you're expecting to be maybe a 7-8 or eight win team like West Virginia or Iowa State that ends up being 5-6 or six win team, right? Yeah. Like, it'll balance itself out. So, yes, it is a very manageable schedule. And I like where the bye weeks are. Uh, obviously... Imagine if this was like last year where you had one of those years where you had even more home games than away games too on top of who you're playing. But honestly, it probably works out better this way because then in the years where you do play a tougher schedule, you want more of the home games anyway. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think very manageable schedule for uh, for KU for sure. We'll talk a little bit about that and plenty more with Big 12 and KU basketball coming up next. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us on RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 
You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kansas faces Oklahoma State tonight, and I, I guess not to look ahead too much, uh, but certainly the bigger matchup this week, even despite the game tonight, is the Houston game on Saturday. Houston just beat Texas on the road last night. Um, I, I guess... Just skipping past the Oklahoma State game, maybe that's a dangerous proposition in the Big 12. But, Kevin, how do you see the Kansas-Houston matchup uh, going in terms of how the two teams match up and where you know KU could have some problems versus maybe some advantages against the Cougars? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating matchup because you have two teams that are obviously very good, but good in different areas. You know, Kansas has been doing a better job of taking care of the ball lately, and yet sometimes, you know, obviously – they, they've had some issues with that, and Houston is a team that turns people over about as well as anybody. At the same time, you know, a big part of what Houston does defensively is a really hard big-to-big double team, right? They don't let people typically take advantage of them on the low block. They send help and send it fast, and it kind of starts a, a scramble drill. Well, Kansas is an excellent cutting and passing team, and Hunter Dickinson is a better passer than most big men are. Even beyond that, you know, he has the height and length to kind of see over and pass around uh, that Houston double team. And so maybe Kansas is a little bit better equipped to attack Houston on that end than some other teams are. The The flip side of it is, is, you know, Houston is a team that the shooting can kind of come and go a little bit. If Houston's making shots, it's a team that's really, really, really tough to beat. If they're missing shots, the issue there is you have to get a block out and not just on one guy, not just on two guys. You have to block out the entire team, their bench, anybody you ever went to Houston in the last (laughs) decade because they are crashing the offensive glass really, really hard. And it's kind of impressive because when you look at Houston the last few years, even when they haven't had great shooting teams, they've still been really efficient offensively, and that's why. Is because even even when they haven't been making shots, they just say, "Okay, well let's let's go get another one." And so, Kansas hasn't been the best defensive rebounding team at, at times, and uh, that's an area where Kansas is really going to have to bow up and, and play hard, is keeping Houston off that offensive glass. Well, right now their defensive uh, adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm is an 84.6. That would be the best yeah. since that 2018-2019 Texas Tech team that went to the national championship game and, and nearly won, if not for, I guess, DeAndre Hunter sending things to overtime, which was an 84.1 in terms of that metric there. But this has been one of the best defenses, not just in the country, but I, I guess uh, of a decade, of a generation, whatever you want to look at. And it's it's incredible to me because typically, like, you look at Iowa State. Iowa State is a top-five defense, but the r- reason that they're a top-five defense is because they're, like, the best turnover team in the country, and they force a lot of steals, and they have a good two-point defense, and then uh, they're they're solid at a bunch of other things. So they're, like, average. They're not bad at a lot of other things. But with Houston, they're just, like, amazing at everything. <laughs> like, like I look at the, the Ken Palm profile, number one in two-point defense, number eight in three-point defense, number one in block rate, number three in steal rate, number 36 in non-steal turnover rate. How do you go about trying to score on this team? Is there, is there anything you can do? Yeah, I really think it, it's the best defense in the advanced stats era. And when you look at Texas Tech and the, the defense that you brought up, you look at the Louisville team that – that led them to a title, and you look at some of the ones before that, 
So the reason I say this one is better, even maybe even better than some of the ones that were just slightly more efficient, is because everybody's scoring this year. You know, the difference between what Houston and its peers are doing is off the charts. That Texas Tech year, uh, Texas Tech was incredible defensively that season. The efficiency gap between Texas Tech and the number two team, I think, was 2.1 points, which is, you know, a solid-sized margin. The gap between Houston and Tennessee, which has the number two defense this year, is 6.4. So you're talking about the gap between what Houston is doing defensively and what everybody else this season is doing defensively. It, it is humongous. And, and, you know, part of the problem is, is, you know, you, you aren't getting second shots. Part of the problem is, is a lot of times you aren't getting shots in general because you're, you're either turning the ball over or they're a pretty good shot blocking team. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is is you have to get them in the scramble drill, and when you do, you have to make really sound decisions. And when you look at, you know, when Houston has struggled against different teams, you know, I, I think that's where the struggles have come from. You, when you look at the the Final Four matchup that they had with Baylor, that the Baylor kind of ran them off the court. Baylor made really sound decisions about where to go with the ball. They didn't get too excited. They got the ball to their shooters, and their guys made shots. And I think, you know, that's the interesting thing with with Kansas is, you know, with the way guys cut, with the way that, that things can open up, with the way that everybody passes, Kansas maybe has a better shot to score on Houston than most teams. And Texas was able to score more, you know, on Monday than most teams because Texas has a lot of individual talent. Uh, I think that Kansas is going to score the exact opposite way, where I think the Jayhawks are going to have a little bit of success, partially because of the way that they share the ball as a team. So, if Kansas does end up winning that game, if I if you know we're fast forward into next week and Kansas came out on top, would there be a specific player who you would point to and say they they must have played well for KU to come out on top? You know, I do think Johnny Furphy is going to be necessary to, to hit some outside shots. I, I think I'm going to name off like three guys, so I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams are, are going to have to pass the ball really well um, when, when they kind of get swarmed over and, and all of those different things. And, and then the other thing that I think is interesting, and I won't name one specific guy, Houston is a very physical defensive team. And, and so when you look at that, there are opportunities there to get to the free throw line. This is a team that ranks 304th in free throw rate. You know, I, I think the UCF game, they held UCF, you know, to, to like, you know, what was it? Six points in the first 10 minutes, seven points in the first 10 minutes. You know, UCF actually wound up getting 33 free throws in that game. And if they didn't wind up getting 33 free throws, they wouldn't have cracked 40, which is crazy <laughs> to say. Uh, 40 points, which is crazy to say. I don't think Kansas is going to struggle as much as UCF did. You know, from a scoring standpoint, Kansas is more skilled, better scoring, better offensively, et cetera. But one of the ways that Kansas can win this game is by taking advantage of how physical Houston is, especially with this game being at Allen Fieldhouse, where 
games are called maybe a little bit differently than if you play Houston at uh, at its home court. And so you want to get to the free throw line a lot because it's it's an opportunity that you have to score against that defense without, you know, somebody lunging at you and swatting your shot, you know, into the second row. I'm moving around to the rest of the Big 12. Iowa State picks up a win over Kansas on Saturday, and that means they have wins now over Kansas and Houston. They don't have to have a return trip to Lawrence. I, I don't think uh, Iowa State um, has uh, to go to Lubbock either with Texas Tech. Meanwhile, Texas Tech gets a win at Oklahoma. Uh, Tech doesn't have to do a return trip to, to Lawrence either with Kansas with some of the inbound schedules in the Big 12. Which of those two teams, Iowa State, Texas Tech, who off the nice starts in, in the Big 12, are you buying more as a team that can legitimately win the Big 12 this year? I think Texas Tech plays better on the road. There's not as much of a gap, it feels like, between what they do home and away. I also think when you're looking at the Big 12 and saying, you know, when you look at what happened last year, right, with Florida Atlantic being a mid-seed and making the run that it did to the Final Four, when you look at San Diego State making the run of the national title game, if you're looking at teams that maybe people wouldn't consider and say, oh, this is an obvious team to make an NCAA tournament run, I think Texas Tech is that team in the Big 12 in terms of not necessarily the team that you would favor, not necessarily the team that you would circle and say, yes, this team is absolutely going to Final Four. But I think that it's a team that when you look at the pieces, when you look at what they do well, there's a chance there for them to play well over four games, for them to frustrate the teams they're playing against and wind up making a run. And so I think Tech is the team that is probably a little bit more real in Big 12 play. You know, when you look at the results, when you look at what they still have coming up and everything, I also think that Tech is probably the team that's maybe built a little bit better to do something consistent in March where you don't just have a win or maybe even two wins, but potentially have a chance to to make a run to a Final Four that nobody expects. Yeah, I was uh, surprised, I guess, looking at, at how good Tech has been offensively and specifically that they've been more of an offensive than defensive team, not just because it feels like we got used to with, with Chris Beard and um, – you know the the last regime that it was more of a defensive team, but also because that was Grant McCasland at, at North Texas. It was like the slowest tempo in the country. It was defense first. Not that they're playing at a fast tempo, but they're playing much faster than North Texas. I, I guess d- d- is what Texas Tech is doing right now, where it is different than what he was doing in the past. Is this a showing of? Is it too early to say that Grant McCasland is a top five coach in the Big Twelve? Yeah, it's probably too early to say. I do think this team fits together really well. I think adding Joe Toussaint was was kind of a master stroke because a lot of times when they've maybe gotten wobbled a little bit and their knees have looked shaky, you know, he's been the guy that has gotten them a big bucket or a big opportunity. You know, they it's hard to put a value on that. Somebody who kind of, you know, whenever you need a, a big basket like that, and it, it's kind of interesting because I think – if you look at Duke, right, and all the stars they have there and, and all the talent and all the guys on NBA draft boards, Jeremy Roach is that guy, right? Like, Jeremy Roach is the guy that, you know, it's a two-point game with two minutes left, and somehow he gets a layup and, you know, stabilizes the engines. And I think Joe Toussaint has been that guy. Him and Pop Isaacs is such a fun pairing, I think, because Pop Isaacs has – 
some Marquise Noel in him a little bit in that you kind of live with some of the wild stuff to make some of the special things that he does happen. You know, you're going to have that possession where you're, where he's coming down and you're saying, okay, let's get a good shot here. And he pulls up from 30, you know, three, you know, three seconds of the shot clock. And you're thinking, okay, that wasn't what I had in mind, but he's also the guy that, you know, hits the huge shot with a minute 30 left because he has no conscience. And so when you look at that backcourt, when you look at the way that they defend from a team standpoint, even though maybe the results haven't quite been there as much and as much as maybe you would expect a McCaslin defense to take off, I think this is a team that could hit another gear defensively here over the next month or so as well. And so I think there's still some upside left with them as well. Moving over to football, where the Big 12 schedule was released earlier today. Are there any teams across the conference that you feel like got a very challenging slate compared to maybe any schools who maybe got things shaking their way a little bit more? You know, from a from a challenging standpoint, I didn't think there were too many teams that got just an absolutely brutal, you know, can you believe this type of schedule. I think the other side, though, you look at it and, you know, Kansas could be, I think, this year's Oklahoma State. And what I mean by that is Oklahoma State didn't play Texas this year. And so when you look at that, the fact that they got Oklahoma and Kansas, you know, two of the other, you know, better teams in the conference to come to Stillwater, Kansas State went to Stillwater as well. When you look at all of that, Oklahoma State was a solid bet to reach the Big 12 title game. Even though I'm not sure Oklahoma State was the second best team in the Big 12, I think that had you split some of those games up, you know, had things even just gone a little bit differently. The Oklahoma game, obviously, you had the uncalled pass interference in the end zone, you know, on Drake Stoops. In the Kansas game, you have, you know, the play where it looked like he was offside, and even beyond that, Kansas led in the fourth quarter. And so there were games that maybe could have gone the other way. But Oklahoma State was able to finish second in the Big 12 and go to Arlington because of kind of that schedule, the way it was set up. You look at Kansas not having to play Utah, not having to play Arizona, not having to play an Oklahoma State team that might be a little bit better next year than it was this year. You know, Kansas State is the only rogue game you kind of circle it and say, you know, this is a team that – that people are, are pegging for projection or for, uh, excuse me, for contention in, in the Big 12. And then Iowa State, you know, is, is coming to Kansas, technically coming to Missouri because they're playing that game, uh, that game at Arrowhead. But at the same time, you're, you only have one road game against a team that you would maybe consider to be a, a Big 12 contender. And so when you look at what Kansas brings back, when you look at that schedule, when you look at, at not playing Utah you know, and some of those other teams, I, I think Kansas really, uh, really didn't have too difficult a schedule. Utah was another one that I thought came off you know, fairly easy. But I didn't think there was anybody there, – there's not – I don't know that there's a, an SEC-like grouping at the top of the conference where you say, oh, my gosh, this team has to play Georgia, Alabama, you know, and, and all these other teams. They just have a brutal schedule. And so I don't know that anybody came out really in a spot where you say, man, that's, that's too difficult to mitigate. When you look at the first half of the schedule, that, that's a little bit easier for KU. 
What's the one game in that first six for Kansas where it's like that could be the key of of them reaching that point where maybe they're in the Big 12 title game, that they got to win that one, that maybe it's the tougher one of those first six? Yeah, it's when you look at um, when you look at those first few games. Obviously, you have the the non conference slate, and you go through. You know, you go to Illinois. You have UNLV coming back. I think that that game on the road at West Virginia, you know, is possibly going to tell quite a bit because West Virginia obviously had a really good record this year. West Virginia had an incredibly manageable schedule this year. I think. I looked at it in our power rankings. I, I think I had West Virginia seventh last this past year, and I don't know that West Virginia beat any of the six teams ahead of it. And I think they only, maybe only played one of them or, or something like that. And so, is West Virginia that good? It, it's going on the road. It's a hostile atmosphere. It's their first Big Twelve game. Although certainly going to Illinois and then coming home against UNLV, you are expecting that Kansas will be a little bit battle tested. By that point, you got TCU coming to Lawrence that very next week. And so I think, you know, that West Virginia game could kind of be like the West Virginia game was, you know, a year ago. When when you look at Kansas going down there and everybody saying, okay, this is maybe a coin flip game. I don't know that it's going to be a coin flip game, but basically saying if Kansas wins this game, it sets Kansas up to maybe make a run for a bowl. In this case, it's if Kansas wins this game, you're setting yourself up to to look really strong in that Big 12 title race, whereas if you go to West Virginia, you drop a road contest to a team that winds up being a 7 or 8 win team, you know, you're you're already working uphill in terms of trying to trying to claw back into that race. Talking with Kevin Flaherty here. Uh, Kevin, do you have a local prospect of the week? Yeah, I, uh, I actually wanted to uh, to kind of give a shout out to Coulter McDaniel out of Cheney. You know, obviously they had a had a great season, won a state title this year, and, and he uh, he wound up playing both ways. He was uh, a six foot one, six foot two, uh, really good safety on defense. Was a guy that both had some ball hawk stuff and wasn't afraid to come downhill and, and hit some people. He also uh, also played some wide receiver and made some good plays for him. And the reason I bring him up is he committed to a preferred walk-on spot at Kansas, and, and I think he'll probably get his start off there, I would guess, in the defensive backfield. But he's just a good football player. And when you look at the other guys that Kansas is taking in this preferred walk-on class, a lot of them have two-way abilities. When you look at Jameer Moore as a guy that, you know, played defensive back at Salina and then, you know, could go, you know, could go either way. He could wind up bouncing across to wide receiver. When you look at the offensive lineman they just picked up from Paola, he's a guy that could also slide over to defensive tackle and did in high school. And so it seems like Kansas is doing a really nice job in this class of getting guys who have two-way ability where you can flip them, you know, here or there, depending on where your needs are, what they're playing the best, all of those different things. And and I think McDaniel is the type of guy that a lot of times he comes in, doesn't have a ton of fanfare, but next thing you know, he's he's on special teams and maybe even playing a few downs here or there because he's really tough to get off the field and he's a really skilled athlete. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work. At 24-7 Sports, give him a follow at KFlaherty247 on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. 
All right, thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty again, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on RCST. Two hours down, one to go, more KU basketball talk with a preview of the Oklahoma State game coming up next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, depending on it. This is RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Five o'clock hour here. Some of the news today, KU football schedule in the Big 12 slate officially out. They'll be playing their first two home games at Children's Mercy Park, where Sporting KC plays. Final four home games will be at Arrowhead Stadium, where the Kansas City Chiefs play. Uh, so, excuse me. G-E-H-A field yeah, right. at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, when the fans do in the home of the during the... National Anthem, and they say Chiefs. There are yeah. some KU fans that get really mad about that, but I don't think you can be mad about it when you do it at Arrowhead. That's true, because it literally is. That's right. Right? <laughs> so KU takes on Oklahoma State tonight, uh, 8 o'clock tip-off, pregame 6.30 here on KLWN and over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Let's talk more about the game and get to our Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk. You got a victory last game in the Iowa State one. That moves you to 8-15 and 15 on the year. Yeah. I'm now 15-8. and eight. What do I have to do to shave off those two exhibition games we did? Because that would that would make the numbers right. a lot better for me. Well, I mean, you you lost both exhibition games and you lost a double win for me. <laughs> so otherwise, it'd be <laughs> eight to twelve, which would be much more manageable, more more reasonable. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If you give me, if you vow not what? to take Hunter Dickinson or Kevin McCuller first, I will take away the exhibition wins. Well, that, no, because that's dumb because then I'm just – I might as well just forfeit this game. But then you'd be picking up at the very – like, you would still – the math would be in your favor there. You'd be picking up two games but I'd be even losing if you lose one. this one. I know. That's still one step forward for you. Yeah, but – And there's I don't no guarantee lose. that you would lose this one. Well, I mean, if I don't have Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller, it's – You probably it's, would, probably but will. still, either way, even if you do lose, you'd be guaranteed at least one better win. All right, well, you have the first pick. I don't pick. know. I don't want to just throw away a chance to win here right now. Okay. You have the first pick. So, who would you like? I'm taking Hunter Dickinson. Okay. I don't care about your your olive branch offering. Okay. <laughs> I will go with Kevin McCuller. That makes my decision easy here. Yeah. I do think Hunter Dickinson's the right first pick in this one because Oklahoma State just gets shredded yep. on the inside. Kevin... Had a couple down shooting games, and we said the Iowa State game was the worst game of his season. There's two ways to look at that. There's a way of, is he trending in the wrong direction? There's the way of that maybe he's tired, right? He has to play all these minutes. Or is he going to bounce back? Is he going to bounce back? I err on the side of he's going to bounce back. He's been your best player this season. Count on him to bounce back against uh, an Oklahoma State team that's not great. Yeah. I'll go with Kevin. Okay. And then my next pick, this I will big go. One. Big pick. This is. I'm between Furphy and KJ Adams. Makes sense, yeah. Right? Yeah. Furphy had the breakout first half against Oklahoma State last time. He had 15 points. He had a bunch of threes. Yep. KJ should be able to feast inside when you look at Oklahoma State's problems defensively on the interior. And also, they're not a great transition. Like, KU dominated in transition last time they played him. Well, KJ's that, really good in transition. But wouldn't that benefit Furphy more, you think? I think it would benefit KJ more because that's where he gets his assists. And his sister. You know, worth two. Okay, sure. And also, that's where KJ can get some dunks. Yeah. But I, I oddly enough, trust Furphy to get more rebounds. So I'm going to go fair. Johnny Furphy. Okay. So, yeah, one point for every You wanted board. me to leave you, Furphy. I, I kind of did, yeah. Two points, rebounds, and assists, three points for blocks and steals. Mm -hmm. 
Furphy probably going to be pretty good at getting some rebounds, like you said. But, I mean, I can't sit here and not take K.J. Adams. So give me K.J. Adams, my first pick. Now, I'm going to do something you're really not going to like. Oh. I'm going to take Parker Brown. Give me Parker Brown, I don't man. like that. You are right. Parker Brown, come on down. He's I want him on my team. I, you know, Dewan Harris is probably going to play a lot of minutes. Who knows if he's going to score enough or assist, get enough assists to even it out. So I like uh, I like Parker Brown here actually with my uh, my my third pick. So take that, Derek. Okay, the conservative pick of Parker Brown always not a bad idea. By the way, did you know he had a game worst minus thirteen against Iowa State? I in, wouldn't have thought like, so because I thought he actually played okay in plus minus or in pickoff plus minus oh, okay, uh, yeah. against Iowa State. Well, he just didn't really do much. I mean, he had the one dunk. He, he had, had one a rebound, dunk, and that he was had the murder foul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that the murder foul has got to be worth like minus five. <laughs> Should we do flagrant fouls or minus five? Add that in there. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I'll go Dewan Harris. I think in a game that is a little bit more transition, you can get more assists from Dewan if he's the one leading the break. Uh, he had a good game against Iowa State. Maybe that carries over. Maybe he's a little bit more aggressive, can get you eight to ten points, which is what you're kind of looking for here. So I'll go with Dewan there. And then... Big pick here. Yeah, so... You got Nick Timberlake, you got Omarco Jackson, you got Jamari McDowell. If you think KU is going to be up big, you could even go for like for Jank. Like walk on. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go Michael Jankovic. I, I think uh. they can. I mean, you're projected to win by, we're going to get to our game so, picks. 16 point spread. I would like to propose something here. Okay. For Pickhawk. If the player you pick does not play, you should face some sort of punishment because of that. I actually agree with that because I don't want to be in a situation where. A You're guy like, doesn't play. Oh, I'd rather just take Dylan Wilhite because I know he's going to exactly. get zero, zero as opposed to taking a risk on somebody who's going to get negative Correct. five. Yes, there should be I some kind of that. punishment if you take a guy that doesn't play. Sure. Do you want to just say like minus five automatically, or do you want to say he is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, minus five because like minus five feels pretty fair. Yeah, like, minus ten feels too extreme. I think. Right. That's what I, was I mean. We could do it as they automatically equal out to whoever has the lowest. So if somebody else has negative seven, they get a negative seven. Okay, I actually like that better. But it maxes out at zero. So if the lowest yes. hypothetically is two, they'd just be at zero. Yeah, I'm fine with that. We can just do that. Yeah. I, I think he gets in there, though, uh, because okay. you're projected to win by 16. So yeah. give me Jank. I'll take uh, I'll take Nick Timberlake here. Okay. I'll take Nick Timberlake. Uh, you know, he remember, he posterized a guy. Bryce Thompson, he did. actually. Uh, in Stillwater. That was, so, what, number two on the Sports Center top ten? Number yeah. three? Number three, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for Timberlake. So... I'll take Nick Timberlake here. Maybe he maybe he gets a little bit going here. Hits a couple three point shots. I'll, give me give me uh, Nick Timberlake. You know, Nikki, Nikki, uh, Nikki. I'm gonna be honest. I, don't know. I'm trying I, to come up with I hate on the, fly. the name nickname Nikki for like me or for like people named Nick. I hate it. I'm gonna start calling him Nikki Timberlake as of today. <laughs> and if he plays well today, it's gonna stick. And if he doesn't, oh, it's gone. All right, KU game picks. You are 29, 25, and 1. I am 34, 20, and 1. Kansas is minus 16. A lot of points. Yeah. I mean, they won by 24 on the road against Oklahoma State, but 16, you see that number, and it's like, gosh, you have flashbacks to like How many when you're 40 points favorites against Chaminade and you win by 20. You were a big favorite against Eastern Illinois. You barely covered that, or you didn't cover that, didn't even come close. Uh, UMKC, you didn't cover. Like, you see a big number, and it's with this team, it's scary because of the lack yeah. of bench depth, right? Uh, we you, we were kind of talking off air about the idea of well, 
it's not that unreasonable to think the KU could get up by 20 or 25 in this game. But if they're up 20 with four minutes left and they, you know, take the foot off the gas and, and you do see Jank and some of the other guys come in the game, it's not that uh, unreasonable to think that Oklahoma State could rip off, you know, eight to 10 points and suddenly a 20 point win turns into a 12 point win. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State also. It's just too big of a, it's just too big of a number for me. Uh, really. I mean, I, I expect Kansas to win handily by double digits, mm-hmm. but by 16 or more, again, I just, it's a tough sell for me. So I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll take the Cowboys. And that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think Kansas wins. I, I think it's a comfortable enough win, but 16 feels like too much when you don't have a good bench, when you yeah. have a, uh, you know, starters that have to play so much and everything. And on top of that, how often do you, I know the last one was on the road and this one's at home. So usually it's like, it happens vice versa, but how often do you blow out a team in conference play both times you play them? Yeah, that, that's no, that's another good right? point. That doesn't really happen. No, it doesn't. And I get it. This Oklahoma State team is like the worst team in the Big 12. So if ever it's going to happen, it, it'll be this one. But I, I just think, I don't know, 16, that's a lot of points. Yeah. Over-under is 144. Uh, I'm going to go over here. Oklahoma State has been the worst team in the Big 12 on defense in conference play. Uh, they, they they just are really, they're worse than a, a lot of things, actually. <laughs> So, uh, I expect Kansas to be able to score quite a bit, and I expect Oklahoma State will probably still have some success offensively, uh, enough to make it interesting. You know, to where I could see this game being, you know, eighty-five, sixty-five, eighty to seventy-four, eighty to eighty seventy-four. I guess would push, but eighty seventy-five or no, eighty seventy-four would, would hit. Uh, I'm at eighty sixty-four or eighty sixty-five. Okay. Those would you know be close. Uh, so I'll go over. I too am going to go over. Kansas was able to get out in transition last time they played Oklahoma State. I think that continues in this game. Oklahoma State likes to fire up a lot of threes. That can either lead to long rebounds that lead to transition opportunities, or it can lead to Oklahoma State hitting a bunch of shots and and scoring a lot of points. I think there's a couple different avenues for how this one ends up over. Uh, Additionally, with Oklahoma State giving up 75% at the rim in Big 12 games, that means you can get some easy buckets. That means you can get some quick ones for KU. So I like the over in this one just as it did last time these two played in Stillwater. What is your favorite prop bet? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Johnny Furphy here, uh, over over on his points, which over at DraftKings is 12 and a half. I like that number quite a bit. Since Johnny Furphy's become the starter, so now five games, he has scored 13 or more points in every single one of those games: 15, 13, 23, and 15. So I feel pretty good that he's gonna have a chance to to get some some volume up and uh, and score. And uh, I think he's also been one of the better players in transition in terms of getting dunks and getting easy buckets there. So I like him over 12.5 points for uh, Mr. Johnny Furphy from Australia. So I, I don't think either one of us has ever picked a prop of the opposing player so far this year. I'm going to do that here just because I think this number is too outrageous okay. to avoid. Sure. What and is- for what it's worth, if I was picking a KU one, I might go to Hunter Dickinson over 18.5 because of the ability to, to kind of feast inside. But what I'm going to go with, Bryce Thompson's over-under is only 11.5. Wow. Now, that on the season... That's criminal. It is. But on the season, he's averaging 12 points per game. So it's like, okay, okay that's right. It's 12.2. Still, you would say his season average is above this number. So that in itself would be like, okay, it, it should be over. Yeah. But over his last three games against Kansas, he's averaging 20 points per game. He scored 20 in the game in Stillwater earlier, even though Kansas blew him out. He scored yeah. 23 in Allen Fieldhouse last year. <laughs> yep, I remember that. I think this is an easy lock for him to get over 11.5 points. Yeah, even if Kansas some, wins, even if Kansas wins That's kind of egregious, actually. I know. Yeah. That might be my lock of the year, <laughs> the lock of the season so far.
So uh, wow. that'll be our KU game picks. All right, let's I'll get to, allow it, even though yeah. normally I'm like... No, normally I no, would. Yeah, I know. I'll allow this. Former one. Jayhawk, though, so technically I am still picking a KU player in, in a weird roundabout way. <sighs> I, I guess. Dwan Harris Audio. Next, uh, this is RCST. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.